again. I was away last week. I was in Utah. And uh, traveling actually gives you quite a bit of perspective. Uh, there are people who live in the city who actually don't like to leave the city. Because they always tell me, everything you would ever need is right here. But to get out and about, I was in Moab and in the desert. It was really hot. But you get to see different culture. I got my little taste of cowboy culture. I can, you can talk with me afterwards if you about, like about that. It was quite interesting, actually. It was a learning experience. By the time I travel, I realize people think and want so differently from the people that I hang around with or the way that I think and want. It's both a refreshing and a frustrating experience. One of the places you find is when you talk about politics. I didn't get into a major discussion or an argument about politics out in Utah, but actually we did. I was with some pastors in Roche, but that was very different story. Um, but uh, I find that politics is actually something that really gets people worked up. In fact, I'm one of those people. I have not preached much on politics, not preached much on kind of what's happening in the political sphere, except through innuendos for a reason, partly because um, it's hard to preach from a biblical standpoint without letting your own kind of convictions and your passions come to the foreground. But I did get a suggestion from our suggestion box from our app, and that person will know who it was, and I'm very thankful for it. The question was, can you speak to this uh, from a biblical perspective? And at first I was like, are you kidding me? You know how hard that's going to be to be in one sermon? Right? And, and I don't have time to do a series because next week we're going to do a whole ministry fair thing. We're talking about the, the, the incredible privilege it is and the call to serve. Um, and the week after that, we start our whole day script series, the whole series. I'm like, number one, I don't have time for this. Number two is like, I don't know how to do this in one sermon. But uh, as I was reflecting on that, I felt like it was important at least to, to give us some biblical principles and to charge us to spend a little more time in this because it is significant. It is important. So I'm going to talk about faith and politics today. We are living in, quote-unquote, unprecedented times. Uh, and not just because this is the language that, uh, that our current president uses to describe his election victory as well as his, his policies and his successes, as he would want to describe, but it's also a way that people would say, oh my gosh, all of the institutional norms, all of what we've expected that politics would be, have been under overturned. It seems like if you were paying to the attention to the news cycle, every single day, breaking news, something that's unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented. So much so that a lot of people actually just turn off the news. Are you one of those? Um, you're like, I don't want to deal with this. It's just talking heads going crazy. And we've got usually two different sides of talking heads saying the exact opposite thing. And it's really confusing, number one. It's exhausting. And you're too busy with life to care about it for some. For others, you cannot shut it off. Um, I know people, including myself, who just, for whatever reason, we just, it's, it's grips you from within. It's what's happened to our country. Um, what is it that I'm supposed to do as a Christian, much less as a pastor, um, in light of this unprecedented season um, in our political world as well as our normal world? Let's go next slide. We are living in a time of incredible division, um, not just in terms of division as that we see um, in the context of our political parties, division in our racial understanding, division in our gender gap understanding, uh, 
are the gap between those, and so it's a social class as well, gap between rich and poor is constantly stretching apart. We're living in a world where we weren't used to this, but there's so much turmoil in the political realm, and there is no seeming solution to how to address this uh, along the way. So that's a tough thing to talk about politics in general. Uh, what's the second thing you're not supposed to, to speak about in, in a normal big company? You don't talk about policy, you don't talk about religion. Right? So how do you even begin to think about wrestling with what does it mean to be a Christian and sorry, to be a Christian and to deal with your faith in regards to politics? In fact, because we don't talk about it much, I there's some of that as well. I don't preach on politics. I don't you know, stump for a, a, a candidate. Actually, I'm trying to be really careful from the pulpit to actually stay in the scriptures. But we need some reminders and some guidelines, number one, to say that is an intersection that we have to be involved in. We have to think through. We have to not only exert voice and influence in this realm, but we have to do it as Christians. Okay? Um, the scriptures, no one in scriptures doesn't say that you're supposed to be involved in politics. No one in scriptures doesn't say that you should be uh, following a candidate, voting for a candidate, maybe even supporting and voting to a candidate, because there's no democracy in the, in the original culture. And yet, there is enough for us to understand that when God has planted his people in a place, our job, our role, is actually as citizens of heaven, is to seek the peace and prosperity of that city, to look to see where we can bring the very kingdom of God, to see the kingdom of God in the very neighborhood, in the very city, in the very country that we live. And the scriptures may not speak to it directly, but they speak to it you know, consummately throughout, that God's people are placed you know, in the Old Testament and in New as change agents, as influencers. I'm not going to uh, relive all this because I've preached some sermons on this. In fact, last series, when we did the Grace Group series with Tim Keller, that was the first sermon. What does it mean to live in the city? To seek the peace and prosperity of that city. Because as, as the city prospers, we prosper. Well, we're looking at two verses here, and one in from Philippians, one book of uh, Matthew, that actually reminds us, number one, what our identity is. And from our identity, we know how to begin to engage faith and politics, how we engage what's happening in our current day. Number one, Paul reminds the people in Philippi, the church in Philippi, this, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. That language of citizen is a bit, a bit of a technical one. It's not one that basically says you have some rights and afforded some privileges. In fact, not many were Roman citizens. There were a very small number of people who were Roman citizens. You could be a citizen by birth, but if you were granted citizenship as well, you were expected to, in some ways, represent Rome. You know what they used to do in the cities that they used to conquer? They would actually plant a colony of Romans. Not just any Romans, citizens. Those who love Rome, who understand Rome, who are going to project the platform and the purposes of Rome in that place so that they would win the hearts and minds of that country. So what is he saying? God has planted us as citizens here, that we belong to heaven. We know where our identity is. We know who our king is. We know what kind of governance he runs. And we're supposed to project that in the way that we live, model that, but also influence where we can in our world. That's our primary identity. Okay? But here's the interesting part. Some of us are also our citizens of the United States. 
I, I was naturalized. I was born in South Korea, but I was naturalized. And so um, I'm a citizen of the United States. So I have a dual citizenship. Sorry. I have a dual citizenship, right? I'm both an American and, you know, as the passport says, kingdom of God, right? I don't have one of those. Uh, yeah, uh, I have a biometric trip, chip in my soul that, that uh, it'll, it'll, it'll tag when I get to the gates of heaven. God will know me. But... I, I wear it within, that I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. My loyalties, my longings, the way that I really believe the world should be and will be is reflected in the way that Jesus described and lived the kingdom of God when he was here. And my role in the United States as a citizen is first and foremost, as a citizen of heaven, to live out, to model, but then also to influence in the context of my citizenship in the, world, in, in the United States. So I have a civic duty to care about my country, to care about what's happening on, to pay attention and to exert influence, but I also have a Christian duty, which is even higher, to actually to be an agent of Christ in this place, in this divisive world, to be an agent of Christ, to do it within the governance and within the, the, the systems and the institutions that are in place. We all have a dual citizenship. Even though you may not be a citizen of the United States, um, you have a civic duty in some sense to care for the people around you and ultimately more to, to, to want for and to move toward influence for a better society. All the more so, actually, if you're a Christian. Sometimes this dual citizenship actually gets confusing because they, you'd imagine sometimes they don't always overlap and sometimes they're in conflict. Um, so what I want to reflect on as we think about what does it mean to be a dual citizen, actually, is to look at how some people handle it, how some people realize there's a dual citizenship and just kind of go about their way. So Jesus references this in sometimes when, he's, when actually uh, the people in, in his setting, they, try, they wanted to give him a trap, and they said, what do you think about Caesar's imperial tax? So the reason why this is a trap is they said to Jesus, however you answer, it's a bad for you. Because if you answer, yes, pay the tax, you're saying my loyalty first is to the citizen of Rome and that I'm, a, I'm actually kind of dissing God, Yahweh, because I'm paying taxes to Caesar, who declared himself Lord and Savior, by the way. But if you say, no, I am a, I'm a Yahwist, I believe in, in Yahweh, then guess what? I will not pay the tax, and then you're in trouble with Rome. So that was a trap. Look how Jesus answered. Okay, if that's it, is, take out one of the coins, which is the, the currency they were using. and says, well, whose picture is on it? And they answer, Caesar. So this is what Jesus says. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Take, take care of your civic duty. Do what is required of you. Taxes and so on and so forth. This is also I could remember in Romans chapter 13. And to give to God what is God's. What is God's? Everything. Right? Everything. So there's a dual citizenship being described here uh, that Jesus is mentioning. One of the ways that, that people express this dual citizenship is okay, I will do my taxes and I will do my world thing. I'll do my God thing. On Sundays, I'll do my God thing. I'll come and worship and I'll listen to a pastor. I'll do my thing and then I'll, I'll go back to my world thing. And those two don't intersect. I was kind of like that when I was growing up. In fact, my first experience of politics was in high school. I was taking a class, U.S. history as a junior, and it was so fascinating. The only politics I had heard in the home was about my dad talking about how all of the Korean leaders were murderers because it was true, kind of. They killed off all their own people, and you should never trust the leaders, because it was kind of true, right? 
Um, so I had no idea what politics was like, the, the idealism, the hope that was driven in the American experiment. So as I was learning about it, I was really hyped up. I got into so many arguments, almost fights, because I was very passionate. This was about truth. This was about stuff that matters. Um, but my politics had nothing to do with my Christian belief. In fact, I took a test in the spectrum. On one side, it's extremely liberal. That means you're like a revolutionary. You're like a Sandinista, you know, at the time of Reagan. On the other side, you're extremely reactionary. You're a Nazi. I was one step from a Nazi. I don't know what happened. I was one step from a Nazi. But I look back, it's like, what? You know, extremely conservative fiscally, extremely conservative socially. And, and uh, Ronald Reagan was like at 18, and I was like at 20. Nazi is 21. So let's just give you a heads up where I was. And I would argue my point, and then I would almost always win because I was really, really vociferous. I was very loud. I thought that was the way that to win people over. Uh, and I realized later on, where did my politics come from? When I went to seminary, I started reading about who God is, how he sets up a, a, a life of governance amongst his people when he is king. Imperfect as it was, it actually really shocked me. I'd never read the Old Testament that way. This is a little glimpse of what the kingdom of God can look like. Then I looked at Jesus and the way that he treats people. When he says the kingdom is here in me, the presence of the king, and how he models it, what happens as he ministers, I was shocked. My politics and my faith were in two different directions. I had to do a lot of work to actually say, I'm going to give to God what is God's. And then, out of that, think through and try to actively live out my politics in this context of dual citizenship. I don't know. Some of us are like this. Our politics and our life with God are in two different realms. They never talk. You never process your politics through your Christian faith. Or if you do, it's one that's not thought through. I have to actually say a lot of pastors do a very bad job, maybe I'm one of them, of actually encouraging and guiding their people to think through how does your politics reflect what the kind of kingdom that Jesus is asking us to seek, that he embodies, okay? Because what is God's that Jesus is asking us to do? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, taxes, obedience to the, the law, and so on and so forth, but give to God what is God's. And God wants it all. Seek the kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things. A kingdom, all that we need to live and thrive will be given to us. That's the promise. That's the call. To have a kingdom means you have a king. One who sets up not just laws and rules, but ways. One who actually is a governor. He governs in a certain way. Politics is everything about Jesus in some ways. He was crucified as a political seditionist against Rome. Okay? Think about that. His comments, his way of life, what he said in the Sermon on the Mount and what he called for was politically incredibly radical. We don't think through our politics through the language of Jesus, through the thought of Jesus. And that's something of the challenge that I want to give you. Okay? What is the, one of the ways that we begin to think through how does our faith and our politics kind of not just overlap, but how do we live out our faith in the political realm? Not just in terms of what party we follow or what candidate we pursue, but actually, where do we stand on the issues? How do we, have we thought through them? And how are we forwarding the kingdom through our lives and through our support? Okay. One of the ways that, in fact, some people do it is, in separating faith and politics, basically they say, well, 
in order to get my faith agenda forwarded, I will actually tie in all of my hopes to the political realm, okay? That if I can get somebody who has my back, has our back, our issues at heart in the political realm, and who can win all of these decisions for us, turn the tide for us, then we're in good shape. Our faith is being projected through the political candidate. That's happened a lot, actually, in history. There's a danger to this, by the way, as described in this verse. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. Because guess what happens? If you put all your trust and all your kind of political hope in a candidate, when that candidate either falls off or something happens, guess what? You're in trouble. Actually, I did a lot of missions history when I was uh, in school, and one of the ones that was very profound to me was uh, the entrance of, of Christianity into China. You know, the first missionary to China was possibly, most likely, that's what the historians tell us, is Apostle Thomas. Isn't that incredible? Doubting Thomas not only planted the church in India, which actually we minister in India, we do missions in India, but he actually made it all the way to China. He was the first missionary to China. But did you know that the Christian movement in China didn't go anywhere in his lifetime? The second time that we have any inkling of a Christian movement, there's this guy named Allo Penn in the, in the uh, 8th century. Okay? He is, is, his name and his, some of his story and some of his description of Christianity is written and carved in some of, some of their, um, some their stones and so on and so forth. So we have a historical record of this guy. And it looked like for a short time, Christianity under the influence of Alapen was flourishing because he had an in with the king. He had an in with uh, political leaders at the time. They liked him. They were opening up doors that you can have your religion flourish here. And it was, it was doing well. Guess what? Within a few generations, gone. Because as the regime changed, guess what? It never got into the hearts and minds of people, and it was gone. There is a danger when all of your politics, actually, is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is just a means to an end, that your faith is expressed through your candidate. And that's one of the things that we're finding is happening right now. A lot of people have put all of their hope and trust in the candidate, believing that that's going to be the way they express their faith and they get their faith to prosper. Um, that, this is a cautionary tale that you have to really watch out for in, in this context. If this is not the way to do it, then how do actually we live out our, our faith in the, in the realm of politics? You can't just trust the candidate. Because in fact, if you have to do this, if you have to think through, okay, number one, let's go back here, number one, how do you think through faith in politics? The easiest way to project this is to say, how do I live out and seek the kingdom as Jesus would? Okay, this is the very simple way to describe this. What would Jesus do? That's the first question you should ask when you're engaged in politics. In the context of this situation, what would Jesus do? How would he handle it? How would he treat these people? How would he expect what's going to look like in the kingdom? Another way to describe it is for what is the theological underpinnings of how we should actually see the society move? Or what does a Christian society should look like, what we should seek? That's the simple way of doing it. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Oftentimes, uh, we don't even think through our political positions, much less our support of candidates, if we even have them, through this lens. Number one, Jesus would vote. Okay? That's, that's just me. There's nothing in the scriptures that says that. But I'm pretty convinced Jesus would vote. Sorry. Uh, he would vote. He would be involved. He would do his civic duty. He would give to Caesars what is Caesars, but also he would, he would actually do all of that. He, he met with 
the Pharisees, as well as the lepers and as the prostitutes. He engaged it all, okay? Um, let me ask you, who's registered to vote? That's, that's pretty good, that's pretty good. Whew, I was scared for a little while. Um, you know, our generation doesn't vote. Our generation does not care. For whatever reason, we're so disenfranchised. We're too busy. We don't believe in, you know, so some people actually believe too much in the candidate. We don't believe in anybody. We are so skeptical that we have not. Um, but this is my, my, uh, my charge to you, for number one. You have a civic duty. You have a Christian duty, number one. If you're not registered, that's the first application I would encourage you to do. Find time. Go to the post office. In fact, um, there's an organization actually that, that's right here that, that, that does some of those, those kinds of registering to vote. It's very easy. Get it done. And when you're voting, if you're trying to think, what would Jesus do? This is going to be really hard, okay? In fact, you, you barely know anything about these candidates. I see all these names, and like, I'm like, how can I find out about these candidates? Number two, uh, it's easy just to go simply by, by party for a lot of us. You go right down the party line. But I want to encourage you, as we talked about before, look at character, even if they're not Christian, because character matters. Are they true to their word? Are they looking for uh, a, a society that's in line with the kingdom and is not going to be perfect. Sometimes it's like you know, picking the lesser of two evils. But as you pray through, what would Jesus do? What does the kingdom look like? As you are convicted, okay, put not just a voice to, to what you're believing, but step out. The very process of voting and voting well, in other words, you've done some research, you've prayed through, you've discerned what is kind of the issue at hand or issues at hand. Guess what? It's, it changes you. You're not living out the politics of self. What's good for me? What's going to make my situation better? You're not living out the politics of tribe. What's good for my people, right? You're not living out uh, politics of party. Instead, you're living out politics of Jesus. You're wrestling with that. Okay, what does Jesus want? How do I care for other people? What is the, what is the best description of, of aiming toward and seeking the kingdom of God? And that actually doesn't come uh, with just noise or with promise. It comes with character. So I'm going to encourage you, vote. Think through character. Think through what does it mean? Uh, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? There's one, one thing that I would actually want to encourage us to help us think through this. It's too much, and I've got to shorten up my sermon. So one thing to help us to process where we might end up in our believing about certain policies and, and so on and so forth, and that is this this simple phrase, this bedrock theological, biblical principle that undergirds almost everything. It starts in Genesis chapter 127. It says, And then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Latin term is for this imago dei. Uh, what it means is, when God made every single person, okay, whether, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of of status, regardless of gender, guess what? They've been made with this incredible dignity as one who bears the image of God. They were made to live in community. Male and female created them in friendship and in peace and in community, ultimately to be one with God because we were made for this kind of covenant relationship. We were made with dignity and purpose. Regardless of whether we're citizens or not, regardless of whether we're Muslim, a different religion or not, regardless of whether we are male or female and so on and so forth, rich or poor. This actually was one of the most radical things in their time. 
In the time of the Old Testament, nobody believed this. Only the kings were described as one having been made in the image of God. God democratizes to everybody. So when God makes his kingdom in the Old Testament, what does he do? He actually gives rights to foreigners. Do you know how strange that is? you know how weird? There is no culture that we ever find in the ancient Near East or in all of our history and archaeology that's, that says that cultures would give rights to foreigners. Every culture was extremely xenophobic. In fact, if you're a foreigner, you have no rights. Somebody could murder you, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But in God's kingdom, the, the foreigner is supposed to be given hospitality, given the same rights, given care. Nobody cared for the widows or the orphans, the fatherless. But in God's kingdom, that's what he did. Why? Why? What's the underpinning? What drives God to make these laws and rules? That's because when God sees you and God sees them, they were made in God's image. Broken as we may be, in rebellion toward God, we're still made in God's. That's what drove Christ to go to the cross. So a Christian person who has engaging in politics, who is not paying attention to the image of God, is in direct conflict with God himself, with who he is. This should reflect our very thoughts toward immigration policy. Do we have a politics of self or of tribe or, do, or of party or do we have politics of Jesus when it comes to the foreigner, the vulnerable, okay? Do you give taxes, breaks to the multi, you know, millionaire, billionaires, or do you actually think about those who are in poverty and finding a way to actually transform their lives generationally this should, these are all political things that should be, we should be thinking about, which many times in our culture, in my culture, we never thought through because our faith and our politics are in two different corners. I want to encourage us to think about this. One last thing. Um, there's a guy who did this in his lifetime. His name is William Wilberforce. And he was a, a, a guy who made it to the House of Lords at age 17. Can you imagine that? He was political at age 17. Okay? And he, was, he fought for 40 years tooth and nail, to transform a society from political context. Because guess what they were doing? They were actually, as Britain, as in, as in America, they were engaged in slavery. Slavery was an entrenched uh, institutional ill because of a lot of reasons. A lot of them had to do with socioeconomic. But a lot of it had to do with, they see these African-Americans, Africans, sorry, African, British Americans, and they would see them as just property. They're not humans. They're not made in the image of God. It was easy actually treat them as such. Worse than animals, okay? But William Wilberforce had not only passion and skill and winsomeness, he was able to convince people, perseverance, but he had a Christian faith. What did he do? This, by the way, this is, you can see his story uh, in a movie called Amazing Grace. That's the, 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 the dumbed-down uh, for dummy version. If you don't want to read a history book, you can watch this movie, right? It's not too bad, not too bad. But he was so impacted by his pastor, Isaac Newton, who had his own transformation and his own political shift, actually, even as a pastor. He was a, slave, he was a guy who actually ran the slave ships, would throw off slaves in the ocean and see them drown just for his entertainment because he got bored on the way back. Uh, and when he met Christ, his whole way of seeing the world changed. And he influenced Wilberforce. And Wilberforce was the one. It took him 40 years, actually, to do this. 100 years before Americans did this. And it took a war. They were able to abolish slavery. Okay? Uh, we need people like Wilberforce in our day and age 
who actually care about the world, who live out their civic duty and their Christian duty, who think through their politics, not through self or tribe or party, but through the politics of Jesus, and then get engaged. If you're a young person in this room and you have no concern about politics, I want to challenge you, okay? God might want to use you in the political realm. He needs people who are willing to, who are, have a sense of integrity, who are, who are willing to live for kingdom, seek kingdom. It is a, a, a great calling, and I want to challenge you to. Even if you're an older person and you might never ever aspire to any kind of political um, influence, you can do this not just with your money. You can do this with your, how you live and how you think and how you influence. This is what we're called to do in this day and age. I'm not going to do too much more. There's a lot of stuff. I just want to say we have to get in this through the process of what would Jesus do, and then we have to get engaged. Let's pray.